fast cars, flashy clothes, big money, heavy players, and the hot Miami scene. These were the main ingredients that made Miami Vice one of the most innovative shows of the 1980s. Journey with Tim and Mark as we take a peek into the drama series with an MTV feel on the Vice of Miami podcast. Vice fans to the Vice of Miami podcast, show number 25. We've made it. For our recap of season one of Miami Vice, this is going to be somewhat of a quick show with Tim and I giving our best ofs, so to speak. We won't go into in, uh, length on each aspect that we're going to bring up because a lot of that's already in the discussion of each episode. You could go back and listen. Um, we're definitely glad that we made it this far, and we're definitely glad that you're still with us. So as always, sit back, relax, grab your favorite beverage, and enjoy Vice of Miami podcast show number 25, covering the recap of Miami Vice season one. Now we're going to go over the trivia portion of this episode. In the last episode covering Lombard, we asked, when Croc and Tubbs were in the Labrizzi warehouse after it was torched, what title of a Rod Stewart song did Crockett say Lombard had? Labrizzi gets hit, the man's going to hit back. By the way, Lombard just got out of surgery. He's going to be all right. He was wearing a bulletproof vest. Took a couple double-eyed bucks in the shoulder. Like Rod Stewart says, some guys have all the luck. And a bonus question that I came up with in the discussion portion, what time was on the clock when Lombard asked Tubbs to go to the store to get items for his Italian, his vermicelli dinner? And that answer was 2.15 p.m. Well, you're Italian. Don't Italians eat like 2.15 in the morning too? No, they really, their main meal is usually at lunch but they when they eat dinner it's like nine o'clock at night it, usually yeah it goes forever right yes got the yeah you got the antipasta and then you got to relax with your belt mm-hmm. undone you, you got it <laughs> okay we'll guess uh guess we'll get right into it tim going over the recap of season one of Miami vice uh very good overall i think it was very good um it was kind of a new thing Having a deal in Miami here, you got a New York cop coming to Miami with, you know, Crockett already being pretty much set in stone here, I guess you could say, and uh, Tubbs joining the force. Overall, I thought season one was very good as far as starting out and formulating everything, getting the people going and um, getting the vibe with everyone working together and all that. So why don't we get right into this? Tim and I came up with a few points, and we didn't tell each other what our answers were, so we may agree, we may not agree. So let's get right into it. What do you say, Tim? Let's do it. And the first up is best plot line. Now, for me, I came up with the best plot line being the Golden Triangle, the two-parter. It did a deep dive into the other side of Lieutenant Martin Castillo, you know, and it started out as a routine security, hotel security detail for Crockett and Tubbs. 
leads it in busting a small time hood, which led to Marty having to face off against his old nemesis, Opian Kingpin Lowly. From Marty, he also crossed paths with his wife, who had remarried because she thought he was killed when he was working for the DEA. Uh, and her name was Mai Ying. And his job was to protect her from Lao Li. What about you, Mark? Well, hey, I said, damn it, because that's our first agreement. <laughs> and there you go. I thought we'd get something different here so we could cover more things. But hey, that's how it works. The Castillo history in Golden Triangle 1 and 2, uh, he was already kind of set up as being quiet, subdued, and kind of reclusive a little bit. But anyway, yeah, this deep dive into Castillo's love life, his past, and how he still has feelings for Mai Ying, and then how uh, Lao Li is coming in and essentially setting up show in Castillo's turf, and then in the long run is using Mai Ying and the Castillo hook still to his advantage. Um, I thought it was a real solid story that two, uh, took two episodes to get through. Um, also, I actually thought this was actually plausible in real life as far as cops are concerned. I'm sure it's happened, things like this, maybe not to this scale, but it was definitely plausible, I would think. Um, and also, this definitely showed that Castillo is just as vulnerable as anybody else. Right. It's that it's that character development that they came up with. I really loved his, his home that he had. It his was house. set in that like, Japanese type of... Mm -hmm. uh, motif and right. the fact that Lowly, the word for him in that whole episode was benevolence. benevolence. It's kind of like the COVID word, abundance of caution. Abundance of caution, exactly. exactly. All right, Mark, why don't you take away the best opening scene? Best opening scene? I just had to go with um, Brothers Keeper, episode one for sure. Uh, you know, both, um, you know, the, uh, um, the Tubbs, you know, beat it punk when he was in New, New York still. And then Crockett's, you know, 5,000 street corners in Gumby Hair Pixar's. Uh, it, it simply shows how serious Tubbs is um, in his, uh, I guess you could say, his thought pattern and determination to get these people that killed his brother. And then how loose Crockett is pretty much throughout the show. He's not, he, he's not by the book. As both of the lieutenants. By the book, Sonny. By the book, Sonny. So it, it, it's that tightness of tubs and that looseness of Crockett. It, it just formed perfectly in this episode. Tim? Mark, this is agreement number two. It, <laughs> it, again, it was Brother's Keeper. And, you know, it was that very opening scene that drew you into the show with Tubbs stalking Calderon at a New York apartment. Then he follows him to a bar and he has the waiter dump dump some drinks on him to force him to go into the bathroom where he was going to, what it appeared that he's going to take him out using his shotgun. That's it, for him. That was his favorite choice of weapon in season one, but then he got stopped by the bodyguards. It was a shootout. Calderon escapes. So it absolutely just pulled you into the show. There's agreement oh, number two. Did. And I mean, it was, it was, you know, it's that night scene. It's dark. You know, you have no mm -hmm. idea who Rico Tubbs was. You had, nobody knew and I don't remember in that opening scene if he had flashbacks to his brother being killed. There were several in that episode, I but think I don't. It was in uh, episode two of that, if I believe correctly. Yes, because that was that was kind of it was kind of a two parter, but it was actually mm -hmm. yeah, run part. as one uh, one episode though. 
Yeah, I I don't think really any other <clears throat> excuse me any other episode opening scene was really like you know coming out and grabbing you, bringing you into the story. This one did what it was supposed to do. It grabbed you. It pulled you into the Miami Vice story, the Miami Vice life, and it it sat you down and said, "Here, watch me." All right. Um, our next one here is. I uh, I put down best location, whether it's a small scene, a big scene, the regular spot, you know, whatever. Uh, I came up with um, the Brookside Marina where uh, St. Vitus Dance is docked. I think uh, very simply it showcases Miami and the skyline. And you could kind of tell that this is Crockett's place to wind down and as well as tubs to dump a lobster overboard. Other than OCB, it kind of gave you a, a focal point or, a, you know, it was kind of centered there. Kind of like, uh, think of it as Crockett's living room where he would come to think of things. Sonny's world. Unwind. Yep, exactly. Sonny's world. So the the whole dock there uh, where he docked St. Vita's dance, again, you could see Miami and then the, the Freedom Tower were... Uh, um, was it Rodriguez, his first lieutenant? Yes. Clip. So that, that was, that's what I thought. Tim? Now, for me, I didn't go with an, a regular location. I went with a a scene or location, and I found that to be in Calderon's Return, which was also dubbed Calderon's Demise, um, where Tubbs finds Angelina, his daughter, Calderon's daughter, at a remote beach on St. Andrew's Island in the Bahamas. Oh, right. You okay. know, you got to coastline, yep. beautiful backdrop, sunny day, mm-hmm. life is good. But actually, when I just went back and looked at some notes, it was really filmed at Crandon Park Beach in Key Biscayne. A lot of the exterior uh, shots for the Bahamas, that you know, they did some pan over shots, but mostly, you know, these beach scenes were in Key Biscayne. So right. again, at the southern end, I think they've got the lighthouse there, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And I mean, yeah, just, yeah. it was I, a great... I, it was great. Go ahead. I I agree with you, Tim. Um, where it where it was supposed to be like a you you, you would think a love scene was going to happen. I mean, with Tubbs, right? But then you get the whole Calderon is this bad guy, and it kind of drew the two peaceful, serene thing together. I agree with you on that, Tim. Right, and I if you remember, she ended up taking off. She made I think a lunch date with him, or no, mm-hmm. a dinner date. But she said, I have to have lunch with so-and-so. And she ends up getting that private little, you know, boat out to Calderon's yacht. And then that's mm-hmm. when Tubbs is, you know, they're they're surveying him. And they'd see, hey, who is she to this guy? And, you know, so it just, it, it made it more intriguing that way. But anytime you could have beach, coastline, backdrop, it, it wins out every day of the week. Oh, absolutely. All right, Tim, I'll let you take the next one. So now for... My best quote one-liner, I said this when we covered this episode because it set the tone for the entire series, Brothers there Keeper. I, I know. We, again, hold on. Before you say it, Tim, we, we just went down these things. Tim, I, you know, Tim and I came up with best quote, best guest star, and we didn't tell each other what we were going to do. I said, we'll keep it a secret to the uh, recording, so here we go. I know we're going to agree on this. Go ahead, Tim. Yes, and it was Crockett when they panned up the sunny at the beginning – one after the tub scene in Brothers Keeper, they cut oh. to them. They cut to the the credits, and then they came back with Sonny saying to uh, Eddie Rivera, who was Jimmy Smith's five thousand street corners in Greater mm-hmm. Miami, and Gumby here has to pick ours. 
5,000 street corners in greater Miami. And Gumby here's got to pick ours. It set the tone. Uh, I said okay. that way back when this show was on. All right. Well, we are not in agreement on this one, Tim. Although I think it's good. I'm not going to say I don't agree with you, but it's good. But no, we don't have the same one. Tim, episode six, one I jack. Don't ever get in my face like that again. Don't detective. ever don't ever come up this knee this close again, detective. Hey, what side are you on? Don't ever come up to my face like this again, detective. Yeah, they have that. And like you said, it set the tone as far as what Crockett said. This absolutely set the tone. And I think this was the second, I guess. Uh, it might have been quote. the first episode that Castillo was in. <laughs> well, uh, yes, it was a first. I think it was the first one he was in, but it was a second one liner he said. Remember when he first got into OCB, he um, asked Crockett about whatever files or the report, right? Mm-hmm. And he kind of, you know where's those reports or whatever. And then they went out to this murder scene, you know, don't mm-hmm. get my fate. That definitely set the tone for uh, Castillo. And remember you sent me maybe a week or so ago, that little interview with uh, Edward James almost right about how yep. he came in there. I think we should post it to our Facebook page. And if you could the do link. it on Instagram too, because it set the tone for not only the character of Castillo, but the actor himself was persnickety and I won't give it away, but it was very interesting to hear how he came in there and he wanted things a certain way. Mm -hmm. Right. Tim's talking about a YouTube video. I don't know when the interview was done. It was absolutely several years ago, but it was with uh, Edward James almost and how the character was formed of Castillo. And like Tim was saying, you know, he, he wanted things a certain way and there was actual tension on, on the set, not alone in the storyline of the show, but actual on the set where he wanted it this way and there was tension. So yeah, if I could, I know I could post the link on YouTube. I don't know if you can on, on Instagram, Instagram but, but you we'll, can do it on, yeah, we'll post it. You could post it on the Facebook page yeah. though. Cause it's just interesting, interesting yes, bits. All right, Mark, your best guest star. Okay, this was kind of a toss-up, but I went with, and I'll name the other one, I went with Bruce Willis as the gunrunner Tony Amato in Episode 6, No Exit. Um, It was a toss-up with him and Ed O'Neill as Artie Lawson and Artie Rollins in Episode 2, Heart of Darkness. I just think Bruce was a little more intense in his storyline, at least I thought was more believable. Not saying that a cop getting in too far doesn't happen in the Artie Lawson, Artie Rollins uh, segment, um, including the ending of Artie. But I just think uh, Bruce Willis, I don't know, he just brought a little bit more. And I liked how he played out his character. Simple as that. Tim? Very cool. For me, I went more a little bit of a comedic relief. And I it was a tie between Martin Ferraro and Charlie Barnett as Izzy and Nogi in made for each other because hey, wait, you you can't just say noogie you have to give it all out tim nougat never leave lamont <laughs> now this episode looked like it was going to solely be about zito and switek being made for each other when zito's home got blown up by a gas leak and then he moved in with uh switek and switek was dating his at his at zito's ex 
But then you also had the made for each other with Izzy and Nookie where, and again, there's lots of comic relief where they went rogue to catch a major fence using a stolen dump truck. And then that guy just, that was one of the weirdest out characters. It was a cement truck, wasn't it? Okay. A cement truck. Yes. It was a cement truck and he wanted a fire truck and this guy just started becoming the the, the adversary, this fence started becoming juvenile Mm-hmm. And, and I remember when we we both said that, and when we did our review of the show, but I liked Izzy and Nogi because they were made for each other too. And, exactly. And in that episode, in our discussion, I I distinctly remember saying that in the world of spinoffs, Izzy and Nogi could definitely have been a spinoff. Yes, um, they could have. Probably a half, no more than a half hour sitcom set in Miami or something, and then maybe every so often have a little run-in with Zito and Switek, maybe. They, they they definitely would have been a good spinoff yes. if they were going to do it. All right. I'm going to go. I'll let you take Best Adversary. Best first. Adversary for me, Calderon's Return, Part 1, Ludovici Armstrong, played by Jim Zubina, because this guy was a professional assassin who was carrying out hits for Calderon. Crockett was really number one on his list. We found out in that episode that Lou Rodriguez ended up being collateral damage. It's just the fact that Armstrong was stalking Crockett and Tubbs. And then later in the episode, I remember they were they were walking on the street and just Sonny was completely paranoid that this guy was watching right. him somewhere. How like how can you go wrong with and do- donuts and guns? I was yeah, I was just gonna say this guy also loves his donuts. Yes. So that was okay. mine. All right, Tim, go with me here. Castillo. To Crockett. Now, yeah. adversaries, typ- yeah. typ- adversaries typically, you would typically think it's an enemy, somebody who's against you, who wants to do you know do away with you. But with the easygoing Crockett and then Castillo coming in and cracking the whip, you know, Crockett wants to take care of business his way and Castillo wants it by the book. Simple as that. So it's did Lou Rodriguez, but Lou was a little right. bit more loose. Mm-hmm. And Sonny basically blew him off. But right. to go with that adversary thing, with and it's a good choice, Castillo, that interview with Edward James almost will set a tone. Right. And not only professionally, character professionally, but actor professionally, too. Mm-hmm. It was very interesting, good uh, good thing. It, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, I didn't it's think about that. Work in, it's still definitely a work in progress as the show moves along, you know, obviously. But, you know, as soon as he came in and cracked that whip, Boom. Good to go. All right. Uh, moving along. Our most intense episode. A lot of them had, a, you know, some parts that were intense. But I'd say um, I'm going to go with Heart of Darkness episode two um, or 21, show 21, Evan. Both show the, the conflict of doing right and doing wrong. Um, and then simply great depth of the actors and the storyline. Simply put, I can't say any more than that. Tim? Yep. One thing I thought about just going back to adversary real quick. How about Crockett and Tubbs in the beginning? The first several episodes where Sonny was willing to risk CAI's lives and stuff like that. And Tubbs mm-hmm. was it. So there's, there's a lot, you know, when you think about that. Well, Tubbs just wanted vengeance. Well, right? I'm talking about when they, they were using Nogi, and, oh, right, and, right. and Tubbs always right. had a problem with Crockett wanting, being okay with 
if he had to sacrificing a CI right. or something like that. So pretty interesting. Right, Most intense episode for me by far and away was Evan. And I went in great depth about the whole uh, suicide and suicide awareness, things like that. So it's it's just because it brought back a lot of memories of something that I experienced around suicide. So far and away that, that topped everything because it got me a little bit twitchy, twitchy when I was walk, watching it, but, uh, simply put, right? that's it. Simply put, you, you couldn't really go into it too much other than we already have. So, yep, that's it. Okay. I think we might agree on this one. I have a feeling why, that's why I put this in here. Why did they write this episode? I'm not going to say my, uh, my toss up my other one, but I'm going to go with maze episode 17. Uh, the whole plot line, was really weak. It kind of coincided with Lombard where they basically just babysat him. They didn't really have to do anything. Uh, but in this one maze, you know, no really strong guest stars. It was mostly centered at the rundown hotel, really no drugs, no drug buys, no drug busts. Um, I think it, that would have been more suited for a regular cop show or maybe somehow in the spinoff of Noogie and Izzy. It just, I, just was not strong for me and they probably could have just ripped up the script and all that and threw it away. Tim. We definitely agree on this one. And that's why I wrote that question. <laughs> why did they write this episode? Just because it involved the death of a cop, you know, when they, the opening scene where Sonny, Sonny and uh, Rico were with a couple other, uh, uh, vice cops and right. They were talking about cleaning up the town and all that. Right. right. And, and, Guy, he gets killed because the one cop's a little bit was really aggressive, uh, and then this ends up, you know, a hostage situation with these Escobars who killed the cop. But it had nothing to do with Vice. Vice would not be involved in this at all. This right, was a SWAT hostage up. negotiation, and then yeah. they send Tubbs in undercover. I mean, mm -hmm. you talk about putting your, you know, he had problems with putting Crockett putting CIs at risk, but he's putting his, you know, you're, I mean, this had nothing to do with it. It was just, like you said, it was a weak episode. And I believe that uh, the ratings on this was reflected in that. So right. there's no more you can say about actors. that. It's like, why, why did they write this episode? Right. Did they the need a break? The actors, of the, the actors of the Escobars weren't that great either. So no, very, very weak. Ving Rhames was in it. So that was, that was pretty neat. Tim, Mark, you take the show first. You, you want me to take it? Yeah, sure. All right. My For me, best show was Golden Triangle. Again, it goes back to that deep dive. And I add a little more deep dive into the accomplished martial artist, Marty Castile's life, where he was haunted by his days with the DEA. Far and away, I just, it was, it had its own set of intensity, but for whatever reason, you know, you go from something being hotel security and it just let, it just, it's the show itself went in a deeper dive because of papers here, this and that. And then they've, you know, they, it leads them to Lao Lee and again, benevolence, but that's, that's my best show. And we agree again, golden triangle, uh, great depth into Castillo and how he was pretty much front and center once we got into it, so to speak. Um, and he was also kind of like the victim in this a little bit, a little bit, uh, only because of his past coming into his present position. Um, and another word we learned in this episode, other than benevolence, was interdict. Interdiction. 
interdict drug interdictions yep yeah okay wrapping up our bullet points for the recap of season one of Miami Vice best song Tim I'm going with in the air tonight by Phil Collins it makes me want to drive down to Miami rent a fast convertible put the top down crank this up and speed wait a minute nope you can't really do that in Miami anymore it's just too congested nothing but traffic Maybe on the Ron Reagan Turnpike and maybe US-1 going to the Keys. That's where you could really open it for a while. But again, In the Air Tonight really set the tone for more iconic music to come in from the 80s. The focus of this song and when Crockett and Tubbs in the first episode, I forgot, I think they were going to the boat or whatever. It They were partners in the car and it framed it. I, th- I think it framed them right there, two of them in the car with this awesome song that set the tone for the whole show that these guys are partners. And my Jan Hammer, I would say Evan's theme. Very cool, very subtle. I could play it on a loop all, time, uh, all day long. Tim? I agree with you, Brothers Keeper, in the air tonight. And again, this is where Crock and Tubbs are driving through Miami to meet up with Calderon and that's, you know, that's where he goaded him at the very end, calling him a $400 a week cop and just, you know, scoffing at tubs. And something that I found about this, so this, this particular scene that it's often listed as one of TV's greatest moments. So that's why no doubt that we came up with the, the similar song is just, it, it, it's another Part it, it 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 set the tone for their partnership, and they had that common bond to get Calderon because Crockett knew him as the Colombian. He blew up his partner Eddie Rivera, and Tubbs's brother was killed. So that was their common bond. And then, as we saw, there were some growing pains, right, in the several episodes after that. For me, Jan Hammer song Crockett's theme, which is yeah. From start to finish with this uh, series, that song is there. And I have it as my ringtone on my phone. And if you listen to our theme music at the beginning, it's loosely based off of that. So, yeah, I'd have, I agree with that one, too. Yeah, I think we uh, we summed it up pretty well. We probably could have had different bullet points, but we didn't want to get too boring here. Agreed on a couple. Um, I, I definitely like the adversary part where, again, you're thinking enemy, but no... Crockett and Castillo. So, you know, things like that, you know, it, it really made you think about, is this, could this have been real life stuff? Yeah, probably. You never know. Absolutely. It could be. Okay. What do you think of season one, Tim, as a whole? I think it was good. And, um, uh, I, I look f- uh, forward at a couple other reviews for, uh, future seasons. We gotta, we gotta take these good ones while we can. Let's just say that. Tim, what do you think of the uh, as a whole? Yep, season season one because it was it's a different it was a different concept. It was that MTV feel, the 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 clothes, the fashion, the fast life. It was it set it up and and I do remember that as the seasons went on, you know some of the episodes did get a little bit weaker in a theme, you know weaker themed, but uh, or weaker ratings things like that. So, mm-hmm. uh, but overall, this was. It was an excellent season to start with, save for the maze, which was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was what it was. And that's right. It sucks. 
maybe maybe when we contact Paul Diamond, we could ask him, even though he won't be have his forte on that. Right. We could ask him to go back and watch that episode if he hasn't. I know he listens to the podcast, but if he go back and watch the episode, tell us why did they why did they write this episode? He might not know, but he, he might not know, but he, he might be able to give us insight. in general. Yeah, he could probably come up in general of why directors, you know, in general, why they come up with crap that hopefully would stick to the wall, you know, but is what it is, right? Yep. And now we've arrived at Snurd Chalkboard of Wisdom, where we hope to inspire, enlighten, or make you snicker a little. In both the world of Miami Vice and our current world at large, we encounter many challenges we work to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere through our show and our social media, we'd like to offer some parting thoughts, a simple quote, phrase, words of encouragement, or a phony quip to you, our listeners. Because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking to ourselves. And we say friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our show and social media. This show's words of wisdom are, if you think you're too small to be effective, you must not have been in the dark with a mosquito. And with that, we'd like to bring this episode of the Vice of Miami podcast to a close and season one to a close. We're going to take a couple weeks off, recharge, reformat a little thing, a few things in the show here and there. Um, kind of sharpen the edges. But again, Tim and I always appreciate each and every one of you listening to us, and we hope you come back for season two. And with that, we hope you enjoy what we have to offer on our shows. We ask that you spread the word by liking, commenting, and sharing on your social media. Make sure to subscribe and comment and rate us too. We will see you next time on the Vice of Miami podcast, show number 26, covering episode one, of season two, The Prodigal Son. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Vice of Miami Podcast or email us at Vice of Miami Show at gmail.com. Please rate us and comment on the episodes and spread the word about the show. On YouTube, press the like button and hit the subscribe bell. 